Hi everybody, welcome to Church at Home. This is our second week and you're listening to the teens uh, video. Now usually what happens on a Sunday when there's illumination is we generally do some kind of icebreaker game. Fortunately we can't do that at the moment. But here's what you can do. Uh, you can maybe nudge someone if they're too close, if they're not practicing social distancing, just nudge them with your elbow, tell them to move, please. We need the distancing so that people can stay healthy. The other thing that you can do is you can go, you can eat. I mean, most times when we have illumination on Sunday, you can't eat and listen to a sermon. You can have coffee. That's brilliant. Go ahead and do that. Get some coffee. Maybe pause the video. I don't know, something like that. Just go and get some coffee and biscuits and come back and listen to the sermon. If you are a parent or an older person, you can by all means stay listening to this talk. It is the teens talk, however. So if you would like, what you can do is you can go to our church at home page uh, and you can find the main service. Uh, it streams from, it streams as a premiere video on YouTube from 9.30 till 11, which means if you watch it between those times, you're likely going to have to rewind at certain points. Uh, but after 11 o'clock, you can uh, click play on it and it'll play right from the beginning. Or if you are a child, and uh, there's some kid stuff on there as well. So there's some kid programs that goes live at 10 a.m., which is the same time that this video goes live. One, I pray for us, and if you want to exit out the video to go look at the other videos, you can do that while I pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that your Holy Spirit can work on us and bring us to you. And so I pray now that even, even while we are locked in at home, you will still use your word to change us on a Sunday morning, that your preaching will still be effective. So I pray now that you use me, and I pray that you work in the teenagers and anyone who's listening so that their lives can be changed. I pray this in your name. Amen. So once again, we're indoors. And it's a bit gloomy. We're in lockdown. I chatted to a 60-year-old man who said that over the past 40 years, he hasn't seen anything as scary like this. We're scared. We see our parents are scared. Many of us are worried about the future. What will it bring? Will we still have our jobs? We're worried about contracting the virus ourselves. We can't even plan because we don't know how long this thing is going to go on for. And we're stuck at home for the next few weeks, and it may even be longer. And everybody knows that when you stay at home, well, let's just say life can get difficult. If you go to the shops right now, it's chaos. So Black reminded us last week that actually... It's a really good thing that we're doing this unbreakable series at the moment. Now, let me just tell you, I didn't plan for coronavirus to happen. When I, when I planned the schedule, I planned way back, uh, actually probably January sometime, that we'd be doing a series called Unbreakable. But the reason why Black thinks it's such a good series to be doing now is because it's in times like these that we need a solid foundation. One that is unbreakable. To build our lives upon 
And let me say to you that God is not just the perfect foundation to build our lives on, but he's the only foundation that we can build our lives upon. Or that we at least should build our lives upon. Two weeks ago, we saw that we all build our lives upon a specific truth. And we saw that Jesus said his truth is a rock and all other truth is like sand. If we build our lives upon his truth instead of on other truths, then when the storm comes, like something like coronavirus, if our house is built on his truth, it will stand. Whereas if it's built on the sand, it will fall. See, sand, sand looks solid from, from far away, right? But when you get close, you see that it's just grains. Held together by nothing. If we build our lives on any other truth but Jesus, then when the storm comes, we'll see that our foundation, if it is not Jesus, will crack. And the house will fall down. Now, I said to you all that the way you find out that truth is you ask yourselves this question. What makes you feel that your life has fallen apart? Because when you do that, you find what is at the foundation of your life. Now, two weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at one of the big foundations of our culture, which is the truth that says that there is no truth. And because of this truth... We found that people could almost feel that they could do whatever they wanted. And through that, we figured out just how fickle this truth is, because if you believe that, then anything can happen. I can say that it's my truth, that I'm a killer, and you can't tell me otherwise, because it's based on how I feel, it's based on my truth, it's based on who I am, which is a terrible, terrible thing. But what about now? How are you feeling now? It's two weeks later. COVID-19 is even worse. So what is making you say that your life is falling apart? Perhaps ask yourself now during COVID-19. See, I bet many of you are feeling that your life has fallen apart because you can't see your boyfriend and your girlfriend. Or your girlfriend. Now you might giggle. You might be giggling right now. But I'm sure that there are actually many people who are genuinely feeling this. Now it's okay to long to see somebody or to miss them. But if your life feels like it's falling apart. To the point that you don't know how you'll carry on living if you can't be with them, with them for three weeks. Then what you've done is you've taken what should be part of the bricks of the house and you've put them into the foundation of your life. You've taken your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your need to have one and you've made it a foundational truth of your life. Now, a truth is something that you cannot live without. Like a Christian says that they cannot live without Jesus, so you say you cannot live without your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You are the people your parents need to watch out for because you'll be willing to do something wrong in order to be with them over these next 21 days. 
You might not you you might not even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but being stuck at home means that you can't get one. Which means you feel like your life has fallen apart because the one thing that makes you feel whole or complete is being in a relationship. And there's now no chance of that happening. Once again, you've taken what should be part of the walls of the house totally fine to be there. It's totally good to desire to have relationships. But what you've done is you've put that into the foundation of your house and you've said, if I don't have that, then my whole house falls apart. Now again, you might still actually be giggling at this point, saying, Gareth, how can you call dating a truth? But let me tell you, you likely use this in the same way that Christians use the gospel. If you see a friend that is sad, you might say something like this, that dude needs a girl, or that girl needs a guy, or man, she needs a man in her life, or he really needs a woman in his life. Like a Christian sharing the gospel, you think that the one thing that is going to save this person is your message. So you'll share your gospel, inverted commas, with them. In fact, you may even help them as much as you can because you think that if they accept your gospel, their life will be changed forever. Yeah, all you need is, all you need is a man or a woman. You know what, dude, I can see that you are so down right now. You know what, I'll help you. Because I know that, that once you find this, this person, you'll be happy again. You'll have joy. You'll have peace. You'll feel stable. You'll feel satisfied. Doesn't that sound exactly like what a Christian says when they say, come to Jesus, because there you will find joy there you'll be satisfied. Can you see how very easy it is to put a relationship as a foundational truth? But relationships are not the only thing that Corona is shaking up right now. There are so many things. People are falling apart because they're losing their jobs. They fear losing their homes, losing their loved ones. You might even be fearing losing your ability to achieve because you're not able to play sport. Now, more than ever, we need to, as people, turn to the one true foundation. Turn to the Lord. Why is His foundation better? You see, Unlike our foundations, our other foundations, He is all-powerful. Unlike other foundations, He is all-knowing. He's not a sinful human, which most of us tend to place as our foundations. We like people being there. We like boyfriends. We like girlfriends. Might even be parents. Might even be friends. But He is God, and He is perfect. He's not the foundation that gives us what we want. He gives us what we need. He can tell tomorrow our other foundations can't. And he's always there for us, something that other foundations could never hope to achieve. He never changes. 
He stands the test of time. Many people say that Christianity is a problem because they say that it never changes with the time. As I said two weeks ago, I think the best thing is that our foundation stands the test of time. Other foundations change, sometimes daily. Jesus is the best. Jesus is right when he, he d- says that the best way to see God as our foundation is the image of a rock. Because you cannot move him. You cannot shake him, break him, or change him. This is why we all need to come to Jesus. Because as John 14 says, the only way we can come to God is through Jesus. So we need to place some trust in Jesus because his death and his resurrection at the cross are the only things that can help us have a relationship with him. So what I want to do with the rest of my time now is I want to look at a question that is how, how can we stay standing on the rock? So we come to Jesus and he brings us to the rock and he helps us stand on the rock. But there's another way that we can stay connected to the rock as the building on top of it. So how do we stay connected with the rest of the foundation? So let me explain this to you. When a, when a home goes up, what connects it to the foundation that it is built on are those large rods. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Some of them go a couple of meters down into the ground. In fact, sometimes those rods can even be longer than the whole house itself. They are really important. If God is the foundation that we build our lives on, then his word is like the rods that connect our lives to him. Yes, there are other things that connect us to the foundation, such as prayer, but God's word is the primary thing. And I've met many Christian teens who don't read their Bibles and claim to be Christians. Let me ask you this. Do you ever go on dates and not allow the date to speak? Nah. Because that's not how relationships work. And how can you say you are a Christian, that you have a relationship with God, yet you don't allow him to speak? So the word of God is obviously important for us. If it is the primary way, primary way that God speaks to us, we need to take it seriously. But there's two reasons I think that teenagers find it difficult to take the word of God seriously. First is one, they don't believe it's reliable. And two, they believe it's limiting on their lives, that it limits their freedom. These are two very good concerns, and I think if we look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, we can provide some relief for those concerns. So point number one, the Bible, the the first concern we're looking at is the Bible is not reliable. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be content, equipped for every good work. The way the scripture tells us that scripture is reliable is that it says, God breathed it. In other words, he inspired it. He had his hand on all of scripture. This does not mean that he physically wrote it himself, but rather that he inspired it. 
which means that he was working through every author of the Bible to make sure that from Genesis to Revelation, the book is perfect. And not one section of the Bible contradicts or goes against another piece of the Bible. So if, for example, it said that God created in the world, the world in the beginning, it's not going to say that he created sort of half of it later on in the Bible. It never contradicts itself. It maintains the same truth about God throughout. So because the Bible is inspired by God, we can say that it is completely perfect because God was in control of its creation and God does not create things that aren't perfect. The Bible tells you that Scripture is breathed out by God, but this might not be enough for some of you. It might not be enough to convince you that Scripture is reliable. So let me give you evidence outside of the Bible to show you that God inspired it. Here's the evidence. The Bible was written over 2,000 years. If you speak to almost any scholar, regardless of whether they're Christian or not, they will tell you that that truth remains. Now Moses is likely the first author of the Bible, and he wrote the first five books. And over the 2,000 years, different authors kept adding books to the Bible. Now you'd expect that someone in the later books would make a mistake and contradict something that was written by an earlier author, especially since the Bible's main topic is God. So someone might have said, for example, that he is all-knowing in the beginning, and, and a later author might slip up and mention something that God did not know. What is staggering, however, is that over 2,000 years, there is not one contradiction. Many scholars have tried to find passages that go against other passages in the Bible, but each time they've failed. The only plausible answer to this is that there must have been a God who oversaw everything. I mean, you know what it's like to do a group project, right? It's really tough trying to make one coherent project with multiple people. There's always a couple of people who write something that's completely different to what the rest of the team are writing. And if you are the person in that group that really wants to do well, what you end up doing is you end up going through the whole project and rewriting other people's work so that the entire project makes sense and so that it's coherent. If a couple of people working on a project together can't make a coherent project without one person overseeing everything, how can roughly 40 authors writing over 2,000 years create a book that is coherent and that makes sense? It's impossible. The only way that it's possible is if there was an almighty God who through the work of his Holy Spirit inspired people to write the word. Because that means that God managed the entire process. And because he's managed the entire process, God does not create things that are imperfect. The Bible has to be perfect. And that means that there's no mistakes in it. It means there's no errors. It means when you read it, 
and you think that you found something wrong because it doesn't, it jars with your life, it means that there's something wrong in your life. <laughs> it's not the Bible that has a problem. The second point is that it's, it's historically accurate. Another test to see if the Bible is reliable is to ask if it's historically accurate. Does it give a, a reliable account of history? Now, most scholars, religious and irreligious, will actually agree that it does. For example, you can actually go and see the massive hole in the walls of Jericho. It's true. It really happened. History proves that what the Bible is saying is correct. Dr. Robert Ballard, who was the first person to actually discover where the Titanic has sunk, also found evidence of the flood, which happened during Noah's Ark. There's a lot of writing about Jesus outside of the Bible as well. Josephus, who was a Jewish author, wrote about Jesus as the Messiah and actually mentions that Jesus died and rose again. Calsus is another author that wrote about Jesus. And there's many more. You can actually go and Google them. You can find them. All of these are proof that what the Bible says is actually accurate. It really did happen. So what does this mean for us? It means we can trust the Bible. When we're looking for answers to life's questions, what do we do, right? Most of the times we go to Google. And we ask Google all kinds of life questions, from the simple ones like, how do I make a cake? To the big questions like, what do I do if my crush is dating somebody else? Or, how do I make friends? Inevitably, when you do this, you get multiple answers, right? And quite often, it's really difficult to tell which article to trust. Well, here's the great thing about the Bible. The answers that it gives you are definitely true. And if they're definitely true, then we have to take them seriously. So if the Bible says that the biggest problem in the world is sin, then we have to trust that the biggest problem in the world is sin. The Bible has proven to be the real word of God. We've got to take it seriously. We can't look at it and go, ah, oh, I disagree. Because guess what? It's not your word against the Bible. It's your word against God. And God probably knows the world better than we do. And so if he says that sin is the biggest problem, we've, we've got to listen to it. If the Bible says that the only solution to that sin is the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, then no matter how absurd it sounds, we can trust that it's true. Because we can trust the Bible. Yes, the Bible might present truths that don't make sense to you. That does not mean you declare the Bible is not true. Because it's just a truth that you don't understand. See, a lot of people do this with the concept of predestination. They tend to say that it, it does not make sense, and therefore there's a part of the Bible that is illogical, and therefore the book's not trustworthy, I'm going to toss it aside, I'm not going to use it anymore. But jumping straight into this kind of conclusion is a little bit like walking in a field and coming across a piece of wood that is just floating in midair. And immediately when you see that, you state, Gravity doesn't exist. 
The reason you wouldn't do that is because you know that gravity exists. Because you've had so much evidence throughout your life to prove that it exists, that you don't, that you'd probably go to the stick and try and figure out why it's floating. You'll look to see if strings are holding it up. Or maybe there's a powerful fan that's blowing it upwards. And if you left not knowing how it was floating, you'd probably leave perplexed or maybe even amazed, but you'd certainly not think that gravity doesn't exist. It's the same way with the Bible. If we find truth that we can't comprehend, we cannot say that therefore the Bible is not true because there's a wealth of evidence to say that it is. So we should wrestle with that truth, but if we can't understand that truth, then we should rather leave perplexed or even amazed, but not tossing the Bible aside. So the second and final point we first said people don't want to read the Bible because it's, they see it's unreliable. The second thing is they see it as limiting. And we'll close with this point. Once Paul tells Timothy that the word is, of God is God-breathed, as we see in our passage, he then goes on to tell us how the Bible is useful, and he says it's useful for making us into better people. It's useful for, if you read from verse 16, for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, the Bible gets a bit of a bad rap because it's seen as the book of rules. But let me say to you about, let me say something about this. First of all, every foundation has rules. Two weeks ago, we looked at how often our emotions become the foundation of our lives. And we let our emotions dictate who we are. We say, I feel this way, therefore I am. I feel this way, therefore I'm gay. I feel this way, therefore I am uh, a different gender or a different race group. And we might think that we are free to be whoever we feel we should be. But the problem is, if we do this... We actually set up a rule. We can't go against who we feel we should be. Or another way of saying it is, it would be wrong to go against my feelings. So the rule is, don't go against how you feel. If you have dating as the foundation of your life, there are a lot of obligations that you feel you have to abide by. Obligations are just a nice way of saying rules. You have to spend time with your partner. You can't cheat on your partner. You're not free to say what you like about their parents. When you're watching TV with them, you have to share the Netflix remote, right? You can't just watch what you want. You can't make any, any inappropriate jokes or comments. If you're the one who's, if you're taking her out on a date, you have to not drink because you don't want to get pulled over. There's so many rules in these kind of foundations. Every foundation that we have has rules. But a big difference between God and every other foundation is that with God, you get to follow his word. With other foundations, you have to. See, Christianity says, I get to do what God wants. Other 
foundations say you have to. Christianity is not, I follow the rules and therefore God accepts me. It's the other way around. God accepts me, therefore I follow the rules. So the Ten Commands, Commandments start off by saying, because I've saved you out of Egypt, and you can go look this up in your own Bibles in Exodus 19, because I've saved you out of Egypt, follow these commandments. So we don't follow God's law to be saved. We are saved and get to follow God's law. So why should we then follow? If we're saved, then what motivates us to get to follow God's law? Well, there's many answers. The Bible actually usually uses the gospel and says because of the great and amazing act that Jesus has done on the cross, we feel out of his love compelled to love others like him. But here's another motivation. God's law makes us better people. I love the fact that God does not allow me to stay a jerk, but makes me into a better person. Let me tell you a story to finish off. When Chloe was born, and I might have shared the story before, I'll tell you the truth, I, I struggled to love her. Lauren and I planned to have a child, but I never planned that I'd struggle to love the child. Friends of mine said you'd feel the emotion the moment she was born. And they said, especially dads, especially dads, dads will feel this overwhelming emotion when the child is born. And I didn't. And because this emotional attachment wasn't there, I'm ashamed to say that I struggled to look after her. Instead of loving my new stage of life, I felt like the strange person had entered into my marriage and was disrupting the life that I had so enjoyed before she came. Now, many men have said this. And because many men have their foundations in the wrong place, they leave. Because they don't feel that this is right for them. Again, that's putting your emotions under your foundation. Or they suddenly discover that being a dad is not what they thought it was. I'm so thankful that God, as my foundation, never let me stay a jerk. In his words, he tells me that my job, and you can go read about this in the book of Ephesians. Go look at Ephesians chapter 5. My job as a husband and as a father is that I need to love my family like Jesus loved the church. What did he do? He died for the church. So I knew that I could not let this emotion get in the way. I had to die to myself. When I did not feel like, pl like playing with Chloe, I played with her. I would tell myself that desire to rather be watching Netflix needs to be killed. I played with her when I did not want to help my wife, uh, sorry, I played with her, and when I did not want to help my wife with feeding her, I killed that desire, and I helped feed her. In fact, I learned what she liked and what she didn't like. When she woke up in the middle of the night, I killed the desire for sleep so that I could help my daughter. And the strangest thing happened. 
because God's word told me how to be a dad, and because it's perfect and therefore can't be wrong, and because God loves me enough to not let me stay a jerk, something crazy happened. I moved from being the stranger that helped give birth to Chloe to being Chloe's dad. I now love that child more than anything in the world, and that happened because God's word changed me. So as we close off, I want you to realize just how important God's word is in your life. God's word is reliable, and God's word is the most important thing for connecting us to that foundation, which is God. Won't you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much that you are the foundation of our lives. And I pray now that these teenagers will seriously take relying on your word seriously. I pray that they become people who read your word often if they are not really people like this. I pray that they gain a love and a joy and a desire to get to know you through your word. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So just before we go, this sermon is going to end on Sunday. But what can you do during the week? Well, there's a couple of things. You can read your Bible for yourself. Maybe go pick a New Testament book. Start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Or something else that you can do is you can follow our TikTok devotions. You can look, at, look us up on TikTok at, at Illumination Youth. Or you can go to our Church at Home page. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll actually see our TikTok devotions. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye.